Hi, I'm Greg Soul, and this is Why Am I, a conversation podcast where I find interesting people and try and trace a path to where they find themselves today. This go around, my guest is Jennifer Masquera. She's an artist that started as a vet, pivoted to earth science, uh, took a pit stop as a lawyer, and eventually found her home making amazing interactive art experiences. This is someone who, while they know who they are, isn't afraid of change. And I love that. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jennifer. Jennifer Mosqueda, thank you so much for joining me on the Why Am I podcast. Thanks for having me, Greg. For sure. We just, uh, I, I don't usually talk about this, but we just had a fantastic uh, fantasy restaurant meal. I hope you guys check it out. Uh, for you guys that uh, don't uh, understand how it works, you join us on Patreon and then you get access to all these cool behind the scenes stuff where you get to see Jennifer uh, basically kill herself, I would say. <laughs> you murdered yourself from one allergy to the next. So that was a lot of fun. Many times, many times. I'm surprised we only had one drink and we didn't have like four or five, but you know, the, the food had to be involved. <laughs> Excellent. So normally how I start these things off or traditionally I would introduce you, talk a little bit about you, but I don't want to do that anymore. I want you to speak your truth. So you and I are standing in line. Where are we? We are at the grocery store and you're buying uh, a cart full of cheeses and uh, very glutinous bread. And, you know, it's a, it's a big backup. And so we're just having a conversation. And I tell you uh, where I work and what I do and just kind of about me. And then it's your turn to reciprocate. So who are you, Jennifer? Um, well, I am an artist here in Denver, Colorado. Um, I am one of the co-founders to a company called Prismagic. We build immersive art experiences. And uh we have built two that were open to the general public at this point. Um, the first one was called Natura Obscura, and that one was hosted at the Museum of Outdoor Arts in Inglewood in 2019. And we currently have one that's going right by City Park at 21st in York called Cheeky Dreams, which is a much smaller, intended to be a pop-up experience that we launched last year right before COVID hit. Um, and so we're still running that and it's still our intermediary step in between, um, where we've been and where we're going, which is hopefully very soon finding a large permanent facility in the Denver Metro area. All right. So there was a lot to unpack there. <laughs> First you started. Yeah, you... we've been doing a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're an artist in Denver. How did you end up settling in Denver? You know, I came to Colorado in 1995 after I graduated from uh, Virginia Tech, and I came here for law school, and um, I went to the University of Denver, which I affectionately call Duh, D-U, <laughs> and, and uh, I ended up becoming a, a an assistant district attorney under Bill Ritter when he was the, the DA here and practiced for three years. And so that was kind of my first version of myself in Colorado. First version of myself. So when you went to college, you did undergrad somewhere, right? And then you went to be a lawyer. So what was your, what was your undergrad stuff? My undergrad, well, I, I went to Virginia Tech with the hopes of becoming a veterinarian. And uh, my first week 
as in in the pre-vet program at Virginia Tech, they wanted me to castrate a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm more of a lover than I am a fighter. And so I changed my major oh, my and um, changed everything to environmental resource management within the forestry department in, at Virginia Tech. So... Um, yeah, I have an undergrad degree in environmental resource management slash slash forestry. That's interesting. So, what <laughs> I mean, holy cow, we are all over the place already. Which is buckle up, shotgun approach. I dig it. Uh, <laughs> so, what made you think you wanted to be a vet to begin with? Oh, I love animals dearly. Always have since I was really little. Um, but I'm much more a lover of animals than a fixer of animals, which they quickly taught me there. So it, it changed my path completely. 180. I'm assuming that's kind of a rites of passage thing, right? Just to make sure that people want to be there. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. As I understand it, there's no knife or anything involved. It's more of a rubber band approach. <laughs> to the cojones of whatever animal you're going as, to As I understand castrate. it. So you're saying you didn't get very far down the process. As soon as you figured that out, you're... I, week one, <laughs> I was like, nope, I'm shifting my major. And I think I landed in the forestry school because the majors were kind of on the same science paths, like earth sciences type of thing, biology, you know, that sort of thing, which was the strength of mine from, from forever. Very interested in nature always got you nature and biology so mm -hmm. that kind of sounds hippie-ish to me is that how you describe Tot you know parts of me are totally hippie yeah they're you know the i'm a vegetarian for pete's sake um i'm a big you know i believe in animal rights i believe that they're sentient creatures and um yeah i would say parts of me spirituality wise kind of the hippie thing um, this might be controversial to some and no offense to, uh, meant, but I'm a sh I like to shower. So that part's maybe not as hippie. <laughs> so you dabble, you dabble in the hippie art. Yeah, yes. Perfect. Yes, right. absolutely. Gotcha. I mean, that's totally, so I'm assuming this comes from your childhood. So you must've had lots of pets and, uh, played around in nature and stuff like that a lot, huh? All the time, climbing trees. I was a total tomboy. Um, lots of pets, rabbits, dogs, cats. Um, I have currently two little dogs. Um, I've had a hedgehog <sighs> in my four. Yeah, like in my earlier forties, I had a hedgehog. Those things are so cute. Which is, they are so cute. He was, he was an asshole, but they were <laughs> still cute. <laughs> His name was Elvis Abernathy Jones, and you'd go near him, and he'd like bristle out and kind of hiss at you a little bit. But I still loved him, deep love. And he's like the size of the palm of your hand, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess he's putting on airs. I see. <laughs> he's fronting. That's right, wilding out over there. So I'm assuming your parents were your enablers with all this animal stuff, right? Uh, my mother was definitely, she still has, um, a herd of small, tiny dogs around her. Um, we always had animals. My father was like, he, at one point he was importing fish from Germany, discus fish, and he had these tanks of fish everywhere. 
at one point they they had made up their mind in their retirement they were going to have a llama farm and an alpaca alpaca farm so it's always part of it um but for me they were just like my little uh sidekicks and yeah the the animals were just like my little friends that i brought around so when i was confronted with the fact that i had to castrate something i was like you don't do that to a friend (laughs) (laughs) well i mean they're not really your friends if you don't know their names and all that stuff so you know do no harm do no harm greg professional (laughs) professional distance you know it's like (laughs) no names uh we're good yeah but but I'm an artist, so boundaries are not my strength. <laughs> Bound- I'm not good with boundaries either. I, I have this problem where I will ask somebody anything because I'm absolutely okay with reciprocating. People can ask me. But I've come to realize most humans uh, don't feel or think that way. I know, unfortunately. you It would be so much easier to get to notice know somebody if you could just ask the questions that are deep down inside and... Oh, you're going to find out eventually if you're going to like hang out with the person. So it's better to know up front in my opinion. But yeah, people aren't nearly that transparent. I was going to say hang out with the person. I feel like within five minutes, you're going to be dropping some bombs pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that there's not a profanity um, moratorium here. I hope there's not (laughs) Um, because because things start to flow and I'm not in charge of that energy. I'm just a conduit for it. I have. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it just comes through you. Is that right? You're just channeling it. Totally. Oh my God. Totally. I yes. uh I am fairly bad about that as well. But I have this thing where I can put on a hat where I'm like, I'm at my job and so I can shut it off for the most part, or uh I'm around my kids for the moment. I can shut it off for the but you know, there's always cracks in the dam. You can only put so much duct tape on that stuff. It happens. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about yep. it. Let it be. Let it be. So <laughs> You also are very arty, so I'm assuming you did a lot of artistic stuff when you were a child too, right? Yes, that was, um, I was super active, but then I was also very um, internal. And so I, I remember being four, sitting at the dining room table, and there was light coming through the shears, and there was like a whole candlescape on there. And I remember spending what felt like hours, who knows what the time was, but spent hours shading, drawing the candles and shading them. Um, And just feeling a really big sense of pride in doing that and taking the time and like perfecting it and polishing it at four. And uh, I remember showing my mother and she was like, oh yeah, that's nice. And it was almost gutting, you know, (laughs) I was like, this is a masterpiece. Um, so it was really important to me at that time. And I consistently created mostly drawing, mostly 2d though, 3d as well. Um, throughout my whole, my whole life, right into when I was practicing law, but then it abruptly stopped when I was practicing law. Hmm. Interesting. So that's very, so you did a lot of your earth sciences, your biology stuff, and then you decided, I'm going to be a lawyer. That, I mean, it doesn't seem like you just get a fortune cookie and it says, maybe you should try law. It's, what, what brought you to that? <laughs> well, I'm a child of an immigrant from South America. My dad's from Colombia, Bogota. 
Uh, he came here in the 60s to the United States and um, he was a doctor already. And then he had to redo everything mm. to become a doctor here. And um, I think it was at his urging um, mandate, maybe, that um, we were all, all four of us kids were to kind of pursue things not like art, <laughs> things with solid paychecks and that sort of thing. And so I remember distinctly being asked when I think I was like in eighth grade, what do you want to do when you grow up? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be? And I was like, I want to be an artist. I want to go to um, art school. And that was shut down immediately. Um, and so him being a very macho individual from South America, where it was 30 years socially behind um, what was going on here, um, that became the filter by which I saw things um, in my art practice and even took some classes in, I took one or two classes in college. Um, so it was forever by my side during my journey. That's, that's always interesting to me because I, children of immigrants, I've seen that before too, where it's, there's like this strong sense of, you know, you have to go and be successful and do all this stuff. And so that's, that's one life that you live at home and then you go out at school and to the rest of the world. And I mean, you know how America is, we're just all over the place here. And so <laughs> I'm sure that was a really strange dichotomy to kind of live those two lives. It was, um, I mean, we all live different lives. We all have different facets of who we are inside, right? And so certainly surviving um, the home environment, it was important to be able to, you know, follow that path of this kind of more professional, sort of professional, air quotes, um, way of being. Um, but the essence of who I was was really based in kind of this feral kid climbing trees, looking at things, inspecting them, creating things. And it was the part of me kind of like that four-year-old drawing at the table. Um, and when I saw what I had created, that was the part that I thought was the most sacred and I was the most proud of. Mm. Um, it was It's where my spirit comes from. It does not come from the law and do picking a jury it does not come from that um it comes from like the energy that comes through me when i'm connecting with nature or creating something or even playing you know like playing restaurant with you all of those things are um where the joy comes from and the energy comes from um it's not the academic gymnastics that you have to do to um in in a lot of ways participate in our society hmm. well something you said there that i really loved was playing restaurant i'm gonna maybe rename it to let's play a restaurant uh, but yeah <laughs> aside from that you've kind of you've, you've said this sort of multiple times and maybe in different ways that uh, there you just said connecting with nature and that kind of that energy flows through you do you do you really feel like an emotional connection is it something tangible that you feel whenever you're doing that stuff I think it is, um, but for what I'm coming to understand is, I think a lot of people think connection is something where it's a strong feeling, where you know you feel it like 
it's like kind of front and center. And what I've found is my connection with nature is this very subtle, mm. soft thing that's calming and grounding. And um, I, I have tended in my life to be kind of riding the anxiety, the anxiety roller coaster mm. all the time and amping everything up. And the older I've gotten, the less I've found that to serve myself. And I find the softer things, the things that fill me up um, without shaking me up are the things that are actually more important for my longevity and how I feel and maintaining a positive mindset and the energy that I need. So within that kind of parameter, I think that's my connection with nature. It calms and soothes me. Um, I can kind of let go and lean back a little bit instead of leaning in. And um, that's what the connection feels like. Never thought I had it before um, because I was always used to leaning in and thinking that's where connection was, but it's, it's actually not. I'm learning for myself. That's interesting. There's so much to unpack there. So, um, one is the anxiety roller coaster. I think that is such a poetic way of saying the way I've lived most of my life. <laughs> you mm. know, it's, just, it's like this cyclical thing where you just get overloaded and overwhelmed and then eventually it will ebb, but then it's always coming back and you just never quite know when it's coming in. The idea of leaning in. So I'm curious about that too. Like, what do you mean there? Like you're leaning in, you're, you're forcing it, you're making this thing happen. You're, you know, white knuckling and grabbing hold of it as opposed to leaning back where it's more just letting the things come to you and sort of interacting in that fashion or what do you mean? Yeah, perfectly said. Yeah. I mean, it's like if I wanted something very much go after it, go get it. Um, you know, I was primed by watching my father after he came to the United States, learn English, then have to build a whole new practice here. And he was leaning in very, very masculine energy, go for it, go after it. Um, I, I think when I was very little, I didn't, my mother told me that I wouldn't even let him hold me because I was always asleep when he was home. Um, and so I didn't know who he was at first. So he mm. leaned in very much. And that was a work ethic that he instilled in all of us. And um, I didn't know that there was another way to be. And it wasn't until after I like, start finding out I had all these food allergies and my body basically said no more, no more of this leaning in that I had to learn a different way of being is how do you move forward without leaning in? And uh, so it's been a process of learning how to receive and feeling enough so that you didn't always have to go after it um, to get where I'm starting to be much more mindful and healthy about how I move forward in the world and, and how I take the work that I'm supposed to create. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to, I think, also how in our American culture, we see things. It's like, go get it and work hard and all of that. And it's not that I don't work hard, but I work differently than how I thought that meant before. That's, yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely, I've always felt like this pressure 
Like I'm not doing enough. I'm never completing enough. I've never got enough things going. And it's just like this slow simmer of anxiety that like I, you know, there's always something I need to be doing. And it's a lot of times it would keep me from enjoying the things I am doing now. Cause you know, it's like all the stuff I had been working for last year I've got now and I don't take the time to appreciate it because I'm too worried about the stuff that I need to accomplish for next year. And it's just such a shit cycle to find myself in. And it caused, I was my own source of uh, anxiety and happiness for so long, like on that roller coaster. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't celebrate and fill up your cup, you're going to burn yourself out. And that's what I found is that uh, if you're not celebrating your own successes and your own milestones, Nobody else gives a shit, you know, <laughs> no one cares. It's just you and yourself and what those things mean. And if you're not celebrating, I think we can end up being resentful and bitter and burnt out. And um, then why are we doing this at all? You know, um, obviously your podcast is a passion for you and it's a way for you to feed yourself somehow, whatever that question is or whatever that need is, um, you know, and, being in alignment with that's really important. But if you're not, if you're not celebrating why you're doing it and those milestone, milestones, then, you know, you've forgotten why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. It's easy for me to remember because I'll talk to people and they're great and they're good conversations. But every now and then I meet a Jennifer and it it reminds me of exactly why I do this. And it gives me, it fills me up in this certain way that I can't get anywhere else. And it nourishes me until I get to the next person It fills me back up. And then, you know, so it's, I don't, I could tell I have, I don't know. I have a kinship with you that I don't with a lot of folks. Um, and this is why I do it so that eventually I'll, I'll, I'll find somebody. And I, I do, I, I grow as a person. I change as a, person I feel like I'm becoming a better human every time I talk to somebody because I I learn more about myself than I honestly yeah. probably do about you and your crazy allergies you are bonkers <laughs> I'm not even sure how you're still alive right now shouldn't you be wearing a mask some kind of filtration device right now you worry me right oh my goodness but no I yeah I totally get it and you know I was just curious do you um if you could do you have any examples of like where you would have some work and you would lean into hard like anything in particular, I'm assuming that was probably most of your DA career, right? Is you were leaning in the whole time on that. I mean, it's been everything, honestly. That was just one symptom of this not good enough program, um, not enough program that I had going, you know, that I saw and inherited and picked up. And, um, you know, it followed me into my art career. Um, it, it's followed me into everything that I've done and it hasn't, it was, I think the blessing was when my body started breaking down, it was a huge red flag. Like you can't, you can't keep doing this. If you want to, if you want to win the race, which means see where this glorious journey goes, you can't keep doing that because your vehicle's not going to get you there. Mm. Um, and so it's required a lot of shifting and, um, a lot of learning about myself to change those things. And, you know, it's one thing when you're 
20 something. It's another when you're 40 something. And it's another when you're going to be 60 something. Like what that energy available to you, how that should be used. And I think I was frivolous with it early on mm. and I paid some prices for it. And now I'm learning um, other ways of being, which is, you know, when you're kind of a perfectionist, is difficult to put it down. And, um, and that's, that's one of my big lessons that I have to learn is that although I think I can do it all physically, my body won't let me do it all. So, um, I have to back up and think about how I do things and be more mindful and also honor the part of me that needs to be fed so that it regenerates and we can go on together. You know, Mm. um, I wasn't mindful of that at the beginning and uh, I was sprinting a marathon and that's obviously a very poor strategy <laughs> on running the race, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, um, for a lot of my life, yeah, I was just, um, I like to describe it as I was a, a zombie and I was just doing the shamble, right? And I was just mm-hmm. going through the motions and then um, after my second son was born, Two weeks later, my wife went to the hospital with like a giant blood clot. And two weeks later, we came out of the ICU and she had like this um, 30% survival chance, you know, when we were in there. And so, I don't know, it was so crazy because it was the literal light switch, you know, got flipped. And um, so many things that were so important, I could just, I had this new perspective where I just dropped them and I never went back to Mm -hmm. them. It's just, it didn't matter anymore. And, And I've noticed there are some individuals and it sounds like you hit one of those situations where you were shocked out of, you know, you were Neo, you woke up in the matrix, you know what I mean? Like you realized what was going on and you could re-examine things around you and, and make changes. And it's, I've never met anybody that just naturally came to that conclusion on their own. Like it's always been some major event that's kind of woke them up one way or the other. I don't know. It's kind of unfortunate in that respect. And, and I've met people too. Um, I've got a friend that she's in her uh, 70s and I'm still not sure that she's woken up yet from it all. You know, so it's not everybody gets there. So I think it's, no. it's, it's fortunate and I'm so pleased that you found it. But there's always, it's always some shitty event that, that actually was the, the catalyst for you doing that. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, I, I think I was in a position where I knew what I wanted to do and then shut it down. Hmm. And when you're what eighth grade, you're like, what, 14 or something, um, around that age. So you're by a lot of culture standards, you're an adult, you know, you're just a very young adult. So I knew that. And then I shut it down and philosophy and knowing our, knowing yourself has always been like a big part of my family and part of my journey. And so I knew it and I was playing pretend when I was a lawyer Mm. and, um, it was, there was a voice that literally kept whispering to me is like, you have to be an artist in this lifetime. You have to be. Mm. And I didn't know what that meant, but becoming a lawyer, the interesting thing about that was, was something that I think I'm just normally can be argumentative. Um, so <laughs> normally came easy. Um, but it was one of those things is like, if I can become a successful lawyer, 
and this is not something I really want to do, then I can do anything. I mean, maybe that's hubris, maybe that's just arrogance, but I took it and ran and I said, this practicing law, I mean, I was crying before work every day. I'm not a natural performer. Um, and it was terrifying to me. And I thought, oh, maybe this whole exposure therapy to this, I'll get over it, you know, and all along my life was like, I'll get over this public speaking thing. Not after three years, not after 30 trials, not, you know, not after all of these things. And I'm like, well, when am I going to stop killing myself to fulfill other people's, you know, ideas for myself? Or when am I going to actually go after what I really want? And so at that point, I really kind of shifted gears and, um, and started going after what I wanted. And that was when I left the law, that was in 2002. So I went to law school for three years, practiced for three years, and then retired and uh, started the real journey, actually. Um, and it's not easy either, you know, like it's just not easy, but it's the celebrations that you have and the milestones that you pass through on the journey that you're really aligned with mean a lot more than those of, you know, me becoming a district court attorney. Like, I didn't really care about that. Like, oh, it's a bump of bump in salary. Great. You know, like I didn't take, I didn't, I didn't see the value in that, but doing what I'm doing and like this creative artistic voice, um, is developed me, developing me as a person and kind of like what you're saying is like when you talk with people and kind of commune ideas with people, you learn and kind of become a larger expression of yourself. That's how I feel with the work that I do is that it expands who I am and um, it helps complete my journey. It helps me understand my journey. So um, that's one of my big whys. Like I'm trying to make everything in my life in alignment and pull things in that make me tick and that I'm interested in and then build it and share it. It's, it's, it's second nature. But if you had asked me in 2002, what I was going to be doing in 20 years, I would not have told you that I was building worlds. (laughs) That's amazing. That's for somebody to have like that much, uh, I guess, faith in themselves and bravery to just say, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call this one done and I'm going to move on to something else. It's like that's some, I've always been so terrified of things like that, that that is like so inspirational. What I'm really curious about is how'd your parents take it when you told them? Oh, poorly. Very poorly. (laughs) Was that the scariest part was telling them? Um, you know, I think what happens is when you're a really emotive person, like I am, you get to the point where you feel discomfort so much that and you hold so much of that Mm. is once you make your decision there is no going back and you shift yeah it's uncomfortable but it's not as uncomfortable as being in that position you just pivoted out of so for me um it was kind of like you know too bad and i also grew up in a household where you know, we were supposed to be following that inner voice. Mm. So there was, in a lot of ways, I felt 
um, friction with the ideal that I was grown, that I grew up with and the practice, the, the actual practice that was happening. And so when I got in alignment with that, which I was taught, which is follow what you're supposed to be doing, um, and believe in yourself, it was, it was easier for me. It wasn't necessarily easier for my family, but it was easier for me. Mm. Yeah. But you said it was, you thought maybe it was hubris to say, if you could do this, you could do anything. I, I think that's, that's just plain and simple self-motivation. And that's, that's truthitudes, you know, like quite literally, you know, if I can, if I can handle this thing, if I can be somebody that I'm not for, let's, let's call it what it was like six years because you did it in college too. And then three years on the job. Um, yeah, I can't imagine you not being able to do anything. So you said that you grew up being like really in touch with, um, your motivations and things. So that's, that's foreign to me. That's something I found much later in life. Um, that I try and, you know, talk to my kids about and stuff like that. But um, it definitely took me time and energy to get there. So this whole time, you knew what this friction was. You knew that mm -hmm. <laughs> that you were forcing, you know, square peg into a round hole, and yet you persisted. Yeah. I did. I did. And, uh, you know, that's that shows how strong your family environment yeah. is. You know, and even if it's not in concert with your beliefs, what people are willing to do. And, um, you know, I certainly honor anybody who is stuck in that flytrap, if you will, um, because it is, I mean, when you grow up in a family, those are the survival things that you have is the love and the affection and the support of your family. That's how you live when you're little. Um and then even if you do have the thought that I could do other things to break those chains is that's all set in your subconscious, you know, that's your wiring of survival. So to disrupt that, um, is a tremendous effort if you don't really have help and just kind of coming through that and you have to kind of build a lot of energy to get out of that or be in a lot of pain. There's a, there's kind of a lot of ways out of it but it does require a huge amount of energy to shift out of there. It's not just kind of, Oh, I'm going to just try this. I mean, there's some people that are, they don't have as many tethers as my experience has, and they're able to pivot easier. Um, but my experience was, it took a lot. It took a, a huge amount of being very taxed and, and kind of very spent and very unhappy in a job that by all other people's standards was I was doing very well at and um, I was a success at and it was very defining and I think that was probably my first kind of real tango when I made the decision to leave with ego death and hmm. killing a version of myself and um, understanding that people will look at you and value you for what you do. Um, and then when you change that equation that they don't necessarily change and then maybe think that you're not quite worth as much or a failure somehow. Um, and that wasn't the case at all. It was my decision to leave and, um, for the betterment of me. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, and I, I understand that they don't mm. understand that, but, it took 
several ego deaths to understand that it's not their journey. You don't have to worry about them. It's my journey and I have to worry about me. And, uh, yeah, it's super painful lesson to learn, man. Something, <laughs> super painful. Something to help you with that was, um, RuPaul said, and I've like, I've learned so much from that dude. He is like so insightful. He's done a lot of work on himself. He's had a lot of work done, if you know what I mean. Um, but he said, uh, his mom told him one time that others opinion, other people's opinion of you is none of your business. Yeah. And, uh, man, I hold that. I, I, I've taken that to heart and I hold that one really close and that one helps me through. But when you're talking about like your family, like that wasn't, that wasn't like a thing for me, uh, growing up. Like I didn't have that sense of like strong cohesive family. And, um, it sounds like your family had like, uh, a gravity to it and to escape that gravity, you had to have a lot of velocity. And so it just, it took you time to build up enough speed to break free from it and get out there and just kind of do your own thing. The, the idea of ego death, being okay with letting go of who you used to be. Do you think you went through like stages of grief associated with that? Like letting those old parts go? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just like you could see, you know, it was interesting when I became an artist, you know, and you're, you're hawking your wares and you're doing art festivals and you're showing your work at places. People would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're an artist and they'd see your work. And my work is a little bit, um, iconoclastic it didn't really follow within a box of impressionism or realism or whatever it's just kind of my own style and um, it would be funny because I would talk to people and I would say something and well how would you get here would be one of the questions I was like well I used to be a lawyer and their whole demeanor <laughs> would change and the way they would listen to me would be different and I'm like oh that still holds cachet with people yeah even though it wasn't really who I was, the fact that I did it held cachet. And um, what I learned is for me, the fact that I was a lawyer, the best part of that is it makes an interesting story. Um, and, and I met some wonderful people and had some wonderful experiences, but for me, like the day to day thing is that I'm the I am the writer of my own story, and um, I have made it very colorful by <laughs> doing the choices that I have, you know, and um, and that's one of them. And so I don't I don't mind talking about it, um, but it was like being somebody else for sure, and using a different part of my brain for most of the time. My creativity served me when I was telling the stories mm. to my juries and and. Um, that sort of thing. But I think that's why I stopped painting is I wasn't exercising that creative side of myself and I was largely using the logical side and looking kind of at the hard part of humanity, which is what I signed up for. I wanted to see what this whole thing was about. And, um, you know, like why are people doing these horrible things to one another and um there's no better way to see it at the front line than be in the trenches and looking at cases and watching families go through you you see you start in like uh county court and you have third degree assaults misdemeanor assaults and duis 
And then I went to juvenile division and saw the kids of the families that were in county court with the DUIs and third degree assaults. And then when you went to felony court, then you saw those families again. And you just realize it's like a gradient and a cycle and the children just get wrapped up in it. And I saw how that worked and I realized that I couldn't really make that much of a difference and that it was kind of like a hopelessness cycle in, in many ways, though there are people doing great work out there. But I was like, I'm not, I'm not really changing anything. Mm. And so the why that I had became even less, you know, like I thought I was affecting good change mm. and there was some. But then when I realized that this cycle was bigger than me and these families and these communities, I was like, and then I was getting jaded from it. I was like, wouldn't it be better for me to shift out of this and um, start instead of focusing on the negative stuff is focusing on the positive Mm. stuff and trying to affect change there. And wouldn't it feel better to me to be more in alignment with that? And, um, and that helped fuel the change. Mm, I love that. That phrase affecting change. It's what I try and instill in my kids. It's like, don't complain, use that energy to do something to change where you're at. Do something that, you know, um, you've got so much emotional capital every day that you can spend, you know, and why not spend it towards something that can actually affect change in your life or in others' lives to make it better. Some form of fashion. Yeah. It's a great lesson to have. That's interesting. So yeah, like the idea that you went in there with, you know, an open mind to try and see what you could adjust. That's, that's awesome. That's noble. Um, uh, yeah, like you said, it's not for everybody. You know, it's so funny. I used to, um, I used to have a very different view on like the criminal justice system and, uh, incarcerated people and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I would call them, you know, they're, they're convicts, right? And so whenever I would give them a name like that, it kind of made them less than human, right? They, they weren't mm-hmm. real people to me anymore. And I started listening to this podcast called Ear Hustle. It's recorded by the inmates in San Quentin. Mm-hmm. And I started hearing these stories from these real humans about, you know, how they are people and they have these thoughts and feelings and hopes and wants just like everybody else. And, you know, you'll hear some of the stories about where they came from. Exactly like you said, those cycles of, of um, poverty, abuse, violence. And, you know, why would we be surprised that they would turn out any other way? You know, they've been shaped and formed and molded in that fashion. And then, you know, they become these, you know, these people that do bad things. And um, it's so it's so humanizing to hear how they come in at like 18 and they have to grow up there. Some of them never had fathers. They have to find a father figure in prison. I mean, that's as crazy as that sounds. And they have to grow up and learn how they did wrong from right. And then 20 years later, they are absolutely a different person. Like some people say, you know, people never change, but if you think I'm the same person I was five years ago, you're wrong. And if you are still the same person, you're living your life wrong. You know, you should be always changing and, and molding and so yeah that definitely it changed the way i look at the world just entirely i love it when i think something and then somebody can challenge me and i feel like my eyes are open for the first time right and i i, I see something completely different like that 
that thrills me in a way that nothing else does, you know, to actually be able to it's change. A, it's a total gift. You know, a lot of people are threatened by that though. And, um, especially when it kind of contradicts things that they've held for a long time. Um, so I think it speaks worlds when anybody, you, me, anybody can see something new and a new possibility, um, show up for themselves. Mm. Um, because oftentimes it takes moving kind of foundational things, um, that are in there, you know, that that's how you, that's your filter of the world. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's not it's not an e easy thing to change. I think you have to practice being open, um, and I think that's a difficult thing for a lot of people. Once you involve fear into mm. any anything, that shuts you down even more. And um, and to have a conversation where there's something new and novel and very different that doesn't follow kind of the party line, if you will. Um, is super threatening. Mm. And um, that's been a really interesting thing to see over the last year is the polarization of thought that's happened in our country. And if you look at it through that lens that, you know, one, that's a difficult thing to learn how to do is be really open to totally new thought that's not something that you're used to. And then you add that fear into it and that shuts you down mm -hmm. even more. Um, it explains a lot about what we're seeing and what we have seen. And uh, I wish more people could just go in and do some exercises. It's like, how can we be open to what other people think? Um, and I know everybody has like the best of intentions. That's the whole thing. We have this, this layer of, you know, I'm a good person. I've got these really good intentions, but we're also a biological creature Absolutely. and we have these survival skills and filters that we're living in. And that's our truth, but we don't regularly take those apart and try something mm -hmm. else on. And if you're not used to doing that, um, being able to see another person's point of view through their eyes even is almost an impossibility mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, as an artist, that's what I think one of the most beautiful things is about the practice of being an artist is you look at a piece of work and you see someone's lens and how they see the world and, um, then you can look at another artist right next to that and see how radically different and maybe equally as beautiful. Um, and I think it's just kind of a beautiful metaphor is that we have people from all around the world and even within our communities, all very different ways of thinking. Um, and there's trappings of thinking one way mm. is the only way. And um, it isolates us and I don't think it makes us stronger I think it um, it limit it limits us in a lot of ways that um, I think was the most distressing thing for me as we have walked through this whole crazy last year and a half two years um, is that we're in this situation and um, we've forgotten how to talk to mm. one another. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's in the same uh, thread as that one, but. I've noticed how people are letting their fear override their ability to care for other people. 
and to worry about other people. They're、mm. just they're so afraid that all they can concentrate on is themselves, and it it kind of I don't know makes me sad. You know that、yeah. they'd rather operate out of fear than think of themselves as part of a community and and all this in this together and try and take care of other people. You know, it's it's, it's the idea of like if. If I was walking along the street and I saw you like laying down bleeding, like I would stop and help you, you know. And a lot of this stuff, it's the exact same thing, you know. It's just sometimes you can't always see the wounds, you know. So you just have to be open and you know. And the idea that you're talking about,、um, when people have something that's a, a belief they hold very deeply, whenever you challenge that belief, it actually kicks off their biological fight or flight response. So I mean, all、mm-hmm. the same chemicals are released in their body as if they're being attacked by somebody. So it makes sense why they would have these visceral responses to them. And it's,、um, I don't know if it's maybe how can we approach people in a different way that doesn't you know kick that off or or I think like you said part of it is training yourself to be more open and、uh, available. What is it? I think Neil. Um, Neil Armstrong said,、uh, "The mind is like a parachute; it only works if it's open." So,、mm. yeah, I thought you know, because there's people in my life that I wish I could convince them of one thing or another, and you know, I think just being slightly open, I try and go the 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 slight nudge approach, where I just give them slight nudges, slight nudges, never never push them one direction or the other, just introduced ideas and. Say, oh, maybe you could think about that, or you know, definitely.、Um, for me, something that absolutely works is listening to them, you know, and being genuinely、mm-hmm. interested in what they have to say and how they think and feel about it, and hoping that they'll reciprocate when I, you know, want to tell them my viewpoint. Yeah, I think、um, part of that is the nudge. It has to be gentle. I think anything that works has to be gentle. You can't use force because people meet force with force.、Um, but I, I like the lead by example. You know,、um, I think that, for instance, my family had a great deal of fear that I wouldn't be able to support myself in this artistic、mm. realm, and.、Uh, That was not my fear. My fear was just not living the life that I was supposed to be living,、wow. and、um, being in touch with the energy and the source I was supposed to have,、mm. you know, and、um, and living a lie. And so I've, I've, I mean, I'm certainly concerned where my paycheck's coming from, those sort of things. But I'm more concerned with, does my heart sing, or have I become a zombie?、Wow. You know.、Um, And so that's for me is if I can, I'm willing to do the work to walk this life. I, I could never convince anybody else to do these type of big changes, but maybe by talking about it and sharing it, is other people can see. Oh, it can be done,、yeah. you know.、Um, and maybe they don't make such a drastic choice, but maybe they make some choices. Like, well, I'm. I don't want to do that full time, but I do want to explore this creative side of me or this other side of me that speaks to me. But I don't give it time or energy, and、um, and I, you know, that's what I think the beauty about what you're doing is, is that you're talking to people about how they got there and who they are along the way and what shifted them, 
And it's kind of um, a roadmap to the human condition. Like, how do we how do we move through this kind of journey? And um, what are the decisions people are making? And people make decisions for all different reasons, and they have all different kinds of outcomes. So, um, what does that look like? And I think when you kind of demystify it and um, look at it from you know at heart, the part of one of the strongest parts of me is my four-year-old self drawing those candles Mm. at the table. I remember her and she's with me and I follow that sense of surety. Mm. Um, I haven't forgotten that. And that has helped me hold on to who I am or who I want to be. Mm. I mean, I, cause I was a lawyer, you know, and I had a big crisis with like, who am I? I stopped painting and, stopped creating and because I had started severing those lines. Um, and I mean, I can't even imagine if I had practiced for the last 20 years, almost 20 years, who I would be. But it certainly wouldn't look as colorful as it does now. Mm. You know, and I, I look back at somebody who's done a lot of things in the past and um, it feels like you don't really regret any of that because it gave you perspective. And for me, that's one of the most important things. I've worked a lot of jobs that made me absolutely miserable. Like I would wake up in the morning. I feel like I was going to throw up every day before I went to work, you know, that kind of stuff. And it has given me so much perspective that now that I'm in a place where I'm happy that I wouldn't cherish it. I wouldn't enjoy it the way I do now, if I hadn't seen what it's like on the other side, you know? And so, um, I work with guys that it's like the thing that they dread the most is the thing I enjoy the most about the job. It's, you know, it's just mm-hmm. because I don't know, they've never been at a place where they were truly miserable, I guess, you know, it's just <laughs> that you kind of, sometimes you got to find rock bottom, I guess, maybe in life to absolutely enjoy it. But I, yeah, I definitely, a life well lived is what I would say about you. You've you've done a lot of interesting things, and uh, like I told you, I like um, what did I say? I like degenerates. So yeah, you definitely mm-hmm. you definitely fall in that. <laughs> no, I I like interesting people who've done interesting things and tried stuff. Um, I've learned later in life that uh, what is it? A life unexamined is uh, a life wasted. I think somebody told me mm-hmm. that one time and. Um, I definitely believe that. And you were talking about looking at art through different lenses. And I think 10 years ago, me, I would look at art and generally art that I liked what had symmetry. It had patterns and repeating things. And I think, um, I think a lot of people enjoy that stuff. But now when I look at art, I, um, instead of enjoying patterns and symmetry, I feel things from it. And that was something I didn't learn to do was to feel until much later in life. And it's so funny how entirely different uh, my lens is and how much more I'm enjoying things now than I ever thought was possible. And it's all through just, um, like you said, being open-minded. I say yes to a lot of things. Obviously, you say yes to some stuff you probably shouldn't. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, part of that is just being open, taking chances and the idea of you saying that you're afraid of public speaking, here you are talking to me, a complete stranger, and you seem so at ease. 
So that seems so foreign. It sounds like some of that exposure therapy may have worked a bit. It's fine once I get going, but it's like that, like this morning I was looking over notes and like just, you know, I listened to previous podcasts and what to expect and like uncovering the unknown. And this isn't really public speaking. I'm having a conversation with you and then it's just, it's gonna, other people will hear it eventually. But when you get up and the, like as an attorney and get up and you're trying to win this case because you have a victim and then all of these things happen and you think you're doing the right thing. A lot's at stake. A lot of pressure. And yeah, a lot of pressure and it's, I mean, pressure that's there and then more pressure that I put on myself. And then when you meet your victim and you build a relationship with them and see their pain and feel their pain, it's, it's a lot. And being an artist with not very solid boundaries, Mm. you know, you just take all of that on. So, you know, I've had to learn to put up boundaries and, and still be empathetic and in touch with people because it's a superpower too. But you have to kind of, you have to make yourself safe within that, within the space of exploring other people. And, and that's all very complicated when you come from a world where everybody's enmeshed and everybody's feeling everybody else's feelings all the time. And um, that's really hard to suss out what's yours and what's not and what's your responsibility and what's not. And um, it's been one of those things for me that um, has been real difficult to figure out and what's healthy and what's not. But I could tell you that just that, that job, there wasn't enough that it gave to me that made it worthwhile. Um, but certainly just by leaving it doesn't mean that that lesson was learned. It follows you until you learn it. It shows up in different ways over and over and over again until you're done with it. And uh, so there's a cyclical pattern to it. It's very Fibonacci. It's very natural, seasonal sort of thing, um, which is kind of why I like nature. I think it's a, we are part of nature. We are like, a Fibonacci piece of nature and we see the same cycles that come back. They're just relevant to our human condition. Um, and so it's, it's in some ways very, um, soothing to know that there's a rhyme and reason to it. And it's also terrifying. It's like, if you haven't fixed it here, it's going to come right back and bite you in the ass again. So maybe you shouldn't worry too much because it'll be back. Or maybe you should just get it done mm. now when it's when it's real big. Something you said there, I circled it three times. Uh, you said, what's yours and what's not? I found myself in a conversation a few weeks ago where I was talking to somebody. And I usually try and be like super open uh, when I'm having conversations with folks. Um, and they went down a path. And it's just, it's like it just kind of repelled me the whole time. And I was like, what is I like, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on there. And until I reflected upon it later, it was like, it wasn't, it was, there was like a heat rating eating off of them. It wasn't, it wasn't hate. It was kind of like a simmering rage. And it was like, mm-hmm. I realized my repulsion was, is like, I don't want to feel that. So I wouldn't like, I was like turning that, I was starting to turn it off and I didn't realize that what it was, which I was like good and bad. And it was like, wow, that's amazing. I wonder why it was so like, I don't know why I couldn't figure that out in the moment, but I was so glad I did it because it's like, I don't, I don't need that energy in me. Like, I don't, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to take that on. And 
um, what's yours and what's not. That is like, that is, I mean, I'm such a visual person. I like a, I like a good phrase. So the idea of that really fits in so clearly and so cleanly with that. Like, because sometimes I will, I'll, it's me feeling it's like I didn't do it for most of my life. And so it's like this fire hose situation. I'm learning to, to moderate it, but it's usually all on or all off. And so it's, it's been kind of this interesting journey for me. Um, and so I'm learning to put the brakes on and it's just, it's sort of new to me and weird. And that is such like a clear indication because I can, I can take on other people's like feelings and I'll carry them with me for like a couple hours and I'll feel a different way. And it's not always the way I want to feel. And so, yeah, definitely learning to temper that stuff. Did it take you a while to kind of figure all that out? I'm still terrible at it. I'm still terrible. Like I think my, (laughs) my first, you know, I think we all start out, you know, you've had, you've had little ones is we feel everything, you know, like that's our first thing we can't really see. Um, but we feel and we feel ourselves first and then we feel out into the world. So we all start out at it as empaths. And then that slowly as our senses come in, as we can rely on other things and we start to um, reason out kind of that's not me. And it's, it's just a real interesting journey when you don't learn those things like when you're held responsible for other people's feelings um it's really hard to suss that out what's yours Mm. and what's not you know you come from this tank of rules you know your family when you're growing up and it is what it is it's not until you leave that that you start to see oh okay that's not necessarily everybody's experience and maybe that's not the most healthy thing for me. Maybe that was just other people's pain talking and mm. you picking it up because you, as a very young child, you need to be in tune with everybody around you for survival. So for me, it's um, it's an ongoing process and it's required a lot of work and a lot of introspection. And when you find, when you have one of those aha moments that you're like, oh, I didn't understand this basic thing that everybody else that's kind of coming from a different, maybe a healthier experience gets. I, how, how can I know when that's never been my experience? Right. You know, and, that, and that was the guidebook I was going from. So um, it's an ongoing journey, you know, and it's not my strength in the sense that I've got it down, but it is a strength in the sense that being an artist that creates environments that are trying to get other people to emote, then it's a, it's a superpower. You know, I just don't have a boundary with it and I know what I feel. Um, and I can put that into an environment maybe easier than other people. So, um, there's like always two sides to that coin. And it's interesting that I'm doing this kind of work now as I'm kind of cleaning up some of those things. So talk to me a little bit about uh, Prismagic because it seems like it's all about uh, building like an immersive experience. And I know we're talking about art and things like that, but it, it seems like 
you know, from like researching it and talking to you that the experience is probably the most important part to you. So talk to me a little bit about that and why that is so important for you. Um, well, I think any art, whether it be, you know, installation work or a painting or a piece of music, um, a piece of dance, um, at the core, there's an emotional component to it. Um, the modality of painting for me, some people got what I was trying to do, but it wasn't, it wasn't as effective as I wanted it to be. And so I started piling up all the senses onto things and naturally kind of going into building experiences. Prismagic, our first um, public installation was called Natura Obscura, which meant hidden nature. Hmm. Um, the logo was a modified Rorschacher ink blot hmm. that had um, an owl in it and it looked like a clearing in the woods and mushrooms and things like that. So if you looked deeper in it, you got to see more and more, which is kind of what we're talking about is kind of diving into something and, and kind of um, picking it apart and discovering things. So there was this path through the experience, through the what you kind of started in a cave, which was a metaphor for, you know, the womb and being born into the world. And then you walked through trees and you were in this forest. You saw these major elements, earth, wind, fire, um, those sort of elements. So there's like a lot of archetypal work, Jungian work, if some have called it. Um, and hidden nature we gave you magic flashlights, UV flashlights, and your job was to discover things and go through and your phone interacted with some things as well. Hmm. And um, the things that you were discovering, there were, a, there were over, I think there were about 30 quotes, some from scientists, some from naturalists, some from um, spiritual non-denominational teachers, some from like Buddha, some from um, poets like, Rumi, um, but all speaking to truths, whether it's about mother nature or our own personal nature. So there was a double entendre going on there. And there was, it was from all different perspectives because we wanted to meet as many people as we could on their journey, meet them where they are and things that would make sense to them. To them. And I'm not a religious person. I'm just a spiritual person. Mm. And if I find truth somewhere, I don't really care where it comes from. It's truth is truth, mm. my truth, right? Um, and so that was their job is to explore the space. And they were finding these quotes in the trees, on the floors, everywhere. And so um, Joseph Campbell, a comparative mythologist who's, whose work I really enjoy, um, talked about the woods as the subconscious. And um, so you were walking basically through your subconscious and finding your own pieces of your own internal nature. Um, and so what ended up being this project with over 30 artists um, became very much, I didn't realize it at the time, but it came very much like me walking my journey hmm. through my life and um, those quotes were kind of some of the final pieces we put in that really kind of congealed it for me is that you want to create something that people feel at ease and at home in um, and a certain sensibility, but you also want 
or at least I would like people to get a hint at what we're doing, which is trying to get people to look inside themselves and find meaning for themselves and connect to a piece because they see themselves in it. So, um, yeah, it's super important. It's my why is I'm on this journey. I'm doing this thing. I'm trying to create beauty, but there needs to be something deeper. And it, it is my biggest joy when somebody else understands that my journey might be intersecting with their journey or in tandem they have different things that light them up Hmm. but we're all walking on that same path through the same woods and we're seeing the same things and what we walk away with might be slightly different but in large part um we're all having the same experience same types of obstacles um love hate fighting, um, joy, ecstasy. Um, and so I think it's just as good as reason as anything to be doing, but, um, somehow it's making a lot of sense to me. And those past 20 years of taking all these dramatic turns and trying to find my way. And now I find my way on this path of, um, using all of the things I have together and building these environments and then sharing it and then other people getting it and seeing themselves in it. I don't know. It's just very satisfying. Mm. What's that feedback loop like? Do you, do you see people as they're walking through this or do you see them when they've, you know, gone through the installation and like, like where, cause I'm assuming you know, all, all art is created to be, a, you know, seen by somebody else or appreciated, but you also need that feedback, right, to feed you as well. So where do you, where do you, like, at what point of the process are you getting feedback? Do you kind of occasionally walk through while people are there and just sort of watch them or what are you doing? With Natura, that happened a couple of times because we were at that point fundraising for a permanent facility. And so I would, we would be taking potential investors through and, um, I got to see some people in real time find things, find quotes that really meant something to them. Um, And then it was just like a beautiful conversation you would have with them Mm. about how they felt seen and how they connected with the work. Mm. Um, In Sheiky Dreams, which we still have running, um, because of COVID, we had to let all of our staff go. And so my business partner, Eric, and I have been running that ourselves Uh, the whole time so we're interacting with everybody that comes to the exhibit and um just on sunday i was working the exhibit and i had a woman come by who is a dream therapist (laughs) and um she didn't know why she came the way she did but she went in and there is one room inside that i've had many people come out of they and they when they get into that room they start to cry Mm. And that's happened, I don't know how many times, but she spent some time in there and um, we came out and we were talking about how these kind of environments can be therapeutic and like she integrated something and when you have all of the senses and beauty and symbolism and everything, it's almost like it just kind of goes into you. Mm. So um, those are my favorites when people really understand that it's not just we're making 
these environments and then there's a storyline with it, but there's something deeper there for you. Um, and, and you don't have to get it at that level to enjoy the experience, but there's something down super deep there that I'm putting into my work because it's my life's work. Hmm. Um, and then when they get it, oh, that's the best. That's totally the best. And, um, you know, you have these beautiful conversations, really intimate conversations with people and where they are on their journey. And you can see that they've been shifted by it. And like we're hugging at the end, you know, like that's like, that's amazing. Hmm. That's amazing that art can have that kind of impact on people and that really the love and attention and emotion we're putting into these things is showing up for people and connecting with people. I mean, that's, there's not a how to do that. Um, there's no book on how to do it. You don't push A plus B plus C together and do it. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we're doing it except for that's our intention. And um, and it's showing up for people. And so that's just, that's such a huge payoff for me is to see people really shifted by it and really following what we're doing and really invested in it. Mm. And um, it means it's got value. You know, it's not just it's not just entertainment, but it's an experience. It's a real experience for people. And I can't architect their response to that experience. I can just lay the groundwork for people to feel safe enough and put the things in place so that they can have the experience. So I don't know. It's in some ways it's like a crazy honor to watch people shift in something that you've birthed. And your intention is to have people shift, but you can't control them. So it's wild. It's really wild. What that makes me think of is um, what we talked about earlier. You're making small nudges and these tiny nudges. And 10 years from now, that person's going to be on a completely different path because you put the time and energy and the attention, you know, and the, the thought into what you're doing. You're putting it there. And I love too the idea that um, you can't tell people how to enjoy things. You know, they're going to enjoy them in the way they want. And I bet everybody you talked to pulled something completely different out of it, right? It meant something different to them, right? All predicated on their past experiences. And you have no way ultimately of knowing, you know, how that experience changed them. But I bet for a lot of them, if you could come back five or 10 years and talk to them, I bet there would be something tangible that they still hold with them. Right. And the fact that you're, you're touching all these people, you're planting all these seeds and all those people. That's so amazing. Like to be able to do that. It's it. Yeah, it's big. It's bit, you know, like it was a lofty idea. I mean, it seems arrogant to say that that's what your intention is. You know, you want to really touch people. Why is in that a arrogant? Way. I don't know, you know, like um, that you can, you know, like that you would know how, like, I don't know how we're doing it. We're just doing it. Um, I think that's it right there. You're doing mm -hmm. it. You want yeah. to do it and you're, you're trying, you're giving it mm -hmm. your damnedest. You're giving it everything you got and you're too big to fail. <laughs> well, well, that's nice to hear. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, would you have that much love for what you do, that much intention in every action you take? How could you go wrong? Yeah, well, 
You can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you could go. You could go hungry. You could go homeless. But I don't. Yeah. I don't imagine you could go wrong in that endeavor. You know, it's been such a journey, and I've tried so many different things to get to this. You know, I was trying to do it through painting. I was. I was trying to do it through a lot of different modalities, and it wasn't until. Um, I realized that there's so many different kinds of people and there's so many skill sets you need to do to build a world that I couldn't possibly, it was too big of an idea for me to do by myself. And, um, I wanted to do an expression. I wanted it to be expressive in ways that it would appeal to many people. And I have a certain point of view, um, but I needed to bring in more people with more skill sets and um that's when it took off and that's kind of you know like prismagic is prism and magic put together and so you know this piece of glass that can split light into all different colors that was always something that kind of dazzled me and then the magic that each one of us has you know, everybody has their own energy that they bring to things. And that's kind of how I look at my team is each one of them has something really special to share with us. And then so it's this multicolored experience with all of this, all of these different kinds of magic that come together. And, um, you know, I've got the, I've got some of these ideas, but I don't have all the magic. My team has so much magic and, um, they come in and do what they love and what they're really good at. And um, it's a beautiful place for them to celebrate that, you know, and um, see it all come together. And a lot of times they're going on faith because I'm like, I got this crazy idea and I'm going to build this thing and I'm not quite sure how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but you over here, you know how to work with this material and you know how to work with this material. And I kind of want it to look like that. And so everybody is bringing their best foot forward and putting it all in a pot and we move towards it and god that's so much fun and terrifying <laughs> it's so much fun and just to see people really get to do what they're supposed to be doing mm. to do it i mean that's that's super juicy that's super great and um you know the vibe that can happen on the job site can get really good there's days where it's really good there's days where it's really fucking shitty too but there's days where it's really good <laughs> and that is what i go back for you know um and just putting people in the right seat on the bus and so that they can do what they're supposed to do and vibe at the highest vibe that they have it's it's rad it's really um another part of this whole journey that is so good for me to see the positive effect it has um you know i've worked with some people since like 2016 and they just keep coming back and they get to see their skill sets burn uh grow and we're doing new stuff all the time. So they're learning and they're bringing the stuff that they've learned while they haven't been with us back. Um, I don't know. It's like a beautiful homecoming every time we're back together. And then we always have new people too. So there's that part. I don't, I don't really know how to distill it, but 
I love the build as much as it tears me down because I put so much in it. Mm. I love my people. Oh my gosh. And what they bring and what they show me. And, um, and some of them that I've been working with and working with and working with for a long time, it's just, they're part of my spiritual family. That's interesting. Something you just said there, what they show me. So you're, you're the mom and they're four years old and they've just painted that picture of those candles. And instead of saying, yeah, that's okay. You're saying, yeah, that's amazing. I can't believe mm -hmm. you created that. Yeah. So you're feeling, yeah. you're feeling that, that little bit of hole. But also I was thinking too, that it sounds like, cause earlier you were talking about how, how tough it was for you to do the public speaking, but this speaks in a voice it's not even that it's you singing uh, in such a way that you're doing it to hundreds and thousands of people that you would never, you were never meant to do in that other way, but this is your medium. This is how you were meant to do it. And you found yeah. it and everything's vibrating at just the right frequency. Yeah. And it all harmonizes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I could, I could talk about this stuff all day long. Oh, this is, tell. this is, this is the, this is the thing, right? Um, but this is for me, like the truth is like, who are we? What makes us tick? What makes us happy? Um, getting everybody in the right seat on the bus, you know, so that they're, that's how they tick. That's how they're happy. And, um, you know, I, th I think we're all on this planet to figure out, like, we have things to learn here. Mm. And, um, a lot of people live a compartmentalized life. You know, when I was a lawyer, I was lawyering, you know, in court and trial. Um, and there was very little time to think like this. And now this thinking like this and exploring these things is, is not only a large part of my job, but it's a large part of my life. So those things are integrated. And, um, I'm super interested in learning more about myself and I get to do that by seeing my team and seeing them meet challenge and go through that. And I'm doing the same thing right alongside of them. Mm. And, um, I've seen them pick me up and, um, have a great deal of grace towards me. And I've seen them do the same towards each other. Mm. And uh, it's just really beautiful to me to be in that. And um, yeah, I can't think of a better way I'd want to spend my time, honestly. Do you get a lot of artists that are um, that are young, kind of just really starting to explore their their art and their career? Um, I on Natura we had to we did it as part of a program with the museum where we took on 11 interns. Hmm. So I had been used to working with a team of people and I had to kind of move them aside a little bit. They worked in tandem, but the lion's share of the physical work that was done was done by a team of 11 new people. And my youngest on that team at the time was 18. Hmm. And the oldest was in their mid thirties. Um, so I do, um, I have, 
I actually prefer to work with older artists because of the nature of what we're doing. Mm. And um, I think when you're 18, you're just learning about life and being independent. Mm -hmm. You're not really diving deep. Um, and we're talking about all this deep stuff on the job site, you know, mm. and like real stuff. Like it's just, it kind of gets, it's in the ether. And so it's harder to be talking about such things with somebody who's younger. They're more like learning the skill sets of like how to do this. And really what's happening is an alchemy of, of like how we relate to the world. I mean, that's just like in the soup on the job site. So um, it's a little bit more difficult, though I don't shy away from working with young people. But I think that it's probably more difficult for them to relate to what's going on. Mm. They want to see a picture and be able to recreate that picture. That's the stage they're in. <laughs> and I want them to see into the picture and feel into the picture. And then understand everything that's supposed to be going on underneath that picture and then create there. And they, and they can, they can do it. They absolutely, I'm super impressed by what my team did, but um, I think that they want to party, you know, they want to rock. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds super old about it. And I totally get that, that yeah. um, energy, but that's like leaning in and that's like all of this unbridled kind of hormones, you know, that they have going and, we're more subtle, you know, we're more subtle. And um, so it's easier for me to, to work with people who have had, they don't have to have a lot of art experience. They just need to have a lot of life experience. Mm. I don't care if they're kind of a, a newer person in the practice of art, that's fine. Um, but it's kind of like feeling into it. And this is what we're trying to accomplish. Um, that's, that's the creative juice I need to have from them. If they can, if they can manipulate that for themselves. I don't know. I don't know how it gets in there. It's transmuted somehow into these, into the spaces. Mm. I love that. That was said, uh, that went a direction I entirely didn't expect. I, I, it's fascinating. So like, uh, I've always been a technical person. Like, you know, I've, I've been in kind of an IT field forever. And, uh, I found like whenever you're, uh, managing younger folks, uh, there's good and bad, right? One of the one of the good things is they don't know it anyway, right? Like if they're if they're in their 30s, they already have their way of doing things, right? And so sometimes you have to kind of retrain, and that can be a little difficult. Because the young folks, they'll do it however you tell them to do it, right? You know, you can mm -hmm. influence a little bit more. But then also, <laughs> I've noticed that um, they have like you know executive development to do like anybody else, but they also have all this personal development because they're so young. They just, like you said, they don't have that life experience. And so they're learning why you don't yell at people at work or, you know, why you don't do, you know, do basic things and you have to work through them. So um, it is more work and sometimes exhausting, but sometimes feels more rewarding. But in the context you're talking about, that absolutely 100% makes sense to me. The guy... I didn't really become introspective until I was in my thirties and really start examining myself and the things around me in that way, you know? So it definitely makes sense. Cause like when I was young, I was kind of on autopilot. I was just doing as much as I could, as fast as I could, I guess. So, yeah. 
That makes sense. Yeah, it's a diff- it's a different it's a different way to look at it. And you know, I want to have somebody who's had a lot of life experience for me is super helpful. I mean, the skill sets, we can get those down and we, I don't worry about that. A lot of times I will design things that it doesn't take a huge amount of skill to do. Like you don't have to have 20 years in something. Um, and we're using really humble materials and we're manipulating them in ways that people aren't accustomed to seeing them. So that's always fun too. There's like a little bit of mad scientist in there, mm-hmm. but, um, the, the what you bring by way of perspective like uh, my my team is so varied so very varied um with what we talk about and um it's it's just really fun to see like people living the way they've been living and being the way they've been they've been and then everybody coming together and kind of like talking, oh, this is going on and trading, trading conversation around it. Um, it's in some ways it's like, I mean, I don't want to make it sound too heady, but like a spiritual think tank, at least that's how I relate to it. And somebody else might relate totally different to it. And we're talking and I might be doing most of the talking about like, this is what's going on. People <laughs> weighing in or we're talking about aliens or something, you know what I mean? Like, but it's, I walk out of there like energetically charged up re- relative to that stuff. And um, I love seeing people's different perspectives that have been honed for years and years, you know, and, and changed and polished. And uh, yeah, for me, it's, it, it's super refreshing to see the young ones too, you know, <laughs> like fresh out of it and like going after it. It's, it's charming. All that know? energy, like, their yeah. bodies don't ache. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I yep. Like and True pleasure is been... the absence of pain. <laughs> and they haven't been beaten down by the world <laughs> yet. You know, they're yeah. real optimistic. Um, and that's a beautiful energy to have too, yeah. you know, and it's intoxicating, but um, yeah, we like to dive deep. So I find there's more conversation there when people have been through the shit and they've survived it mm. and the wisdom that they bring forward. It's, it's, I'm learning from my whole team, um, in a myriad of ways. And, um, I don't know if they're learning. I, I, I would assume because everybody is talking that way, we're all learning from one another too. How do you go about growing your team? Like, do you just randomly find people sometimes and, and vitamin or like, how does that work? A lot of people that come through the experience actually talk with me afterwards and they, um, they ask how they can get involved. Um, you know, it's a different than their immersive experiences that we work because I design everything, um, to a certain degree. And then I might curate in a couple of artists to do their own thing that fits within the aesthetic I'm trying to achieve. Um, But everybody else, um, anything that's built, many people touch it. So it's very different in the sense that there's a lot less ego in it. You know, it's like, we're not like featuring one particular artist. this particular piece is built by seven people, let's say, 
you know, so it becomes what I found is it becomes really cooperative. That ego kind of pulls away and it becomes very cooperative and it's a problem solving um, process. So everybody brings their best forward. Nobody's holding anything back. Mm. And I think I think much of our team loves one another for that, you know, and even if they're super different, they're like, they can see the value in one another because somebody figured out that problem. Somebody brought that piece to it. Um, you know, a lot of it, we've got artists going and then we have people that are more on the technical side that are bringing electronics to it. Uh, the app, Sean builds the app and, you know, like that's a whole other layer to everything. So, um, I think everybody's learned how to make room for the other so that the end product is like that much better than if just one or two people were working on it. Um, I think that's some of the magic that happens is that you see each, each of them support the other. Mm. And uh, it's really cool. Were you always good, like traditionally good at asking for help from other people? Oh, Terrible. <laughs> the worst. I had the sneaking I'm the suspicion. Worst. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst um, for me. Um, but again, the fact that my team is so supportive of one another and of me and I try to be of them, um, it helps me a lot. It really helps me a lot and it inspires me to be better. That's, and that's what they say that's, that's part of being a good friend, right? Like if you're the kind of person that if anybody asked you to do anything, you would drop everything and you would help them. If you're that kind of person, you have to also know being a good friend means you have to reciprocate. So you have to be okay asking people for help as well and, and accepting mm -hmm. that from them because we as humans, it, it brings us joy to help other people, you know, to help mm -hmm. lift other people up. And that's such a hard lesson to learn for people that are, I still have problems asking for help. I am so much better than I am night and day different than I used to be, but I still have problems with it. You know, that's yeah. so weird how, um, something so simple as asking for help can be so difficult. That could be sometimes the hardest thing for me to do. Yeah, me too. I think that I heard this phrase, I'm sure I'm going to get it a little bit wrong, but it's, um, receiving the gift honors the gift giver. Hmm. And I have to look at that a lot and understand that it's not because I'm not enough and I can't do enough. That's where my reticence comes from. Um, but it is, it's the cooperative nature of what we're doing, the scale of what we're doing. Um, and the joy that the people that are participating get, I've had to be reminded several times. My team have been really good about reminding me in really gracious ways is that, um, me asking for help is actually doing something for them too. Oh, they absolutely. get to participate. And um, I always worry that they're not going to think I'm grateful for all of the gifts that they bring. Because um, their projects are all over the board. You know, like sometimes they're well-funded and sometimes they're not. And uh, I don't ever want anyone to say that the dollar value that I can offer them is indicative of the actual value that I think it is and what I think they're worth. Um, so that's, 
that's another thing I'm learning. And um, I'm very grateful for the lessons that they're willing to share with me and their perspectives because it's making me better, you know, and uh, it's making my point of view much more faceted and encompassing of maybe what the reality of things are. Mm. That's awesome. You are so introspective. You've obviously put time and energy into thinking of this. Otherwise, you are an amazing improv artist. I'm not sure which of the <laughs> two it is, or perhaps a bit of both. That's pretty awesome. Well, that's very nice to hear. <laughs> the improv thing is probably not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What's, um? I'm going to ask you one more question. And I'm just curious, like, what is if you even have one, what's your favorite part of the process? Like what excites you? Like when you think, is it, is it, I'm getting ready to do something and I'm kind of trying to build up a, an idea of what it's going to be. Does that excite you? Is it the actual uh, thinking about it musing? Is it the implementation piece? Is it the completion? Like when you get to say, uh, Mario said, whenever he writes the end, <laughs> you know, on his first draft that that's like, you know, probably a, like one of his most celebrated moments. That's such a great question, um, and I'm going to answer it in a complicated way ah, because I, like I think, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think every step of the process has highs and lows. I mean, because you know, like Natura took from 2017 to 2019 to build, so that's a long, long process, and it's it's part of its business part of its creative, part of its logistic, part of its just buying stuff, you know? So the buying stuff can be amazing sometimes. Like you find a new product and you're like, whoa, this is super cool. We can do this and this mm. and this with it. So you get super jazzed about it. Um, you know, the business part, which is more my business partner's part, Eric, um, can be amazing too. Like you have to celebrate that and like, he does a lot of the heavy lifting when it's sourcing investors and finding the money. And, um, but we get to dream every time we're talking to an investor and like think about where we want to go. And so that has got some really beautiful and satisfying parts in it. Um, I love when an idea comes together like a whisper of ideas show up and they keep bothering me and bothering me. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what it's about. And then when it comes all the way through, that's mad. That's magic. Like, and I know exactly what it's about. Like, I'm like, holy shit, that, that all makes sense. Now the puzzle piece is in place. Um, I don't know how that possibly got to me. Um, I'm, you know, sometimes I feel like I channel ideas and I don't know what they're about until I know when, what they're about. Mm. And, um, that, that's super cool. I mean, it's kind of an addictive thing. Like I want, I want to know, I want to know. Um, sometimes it's when the story comes together because I don't necessarily write the story ahead of time. Um, sometimes we don't even have the design, like for Shiki, we didn't have the whole design done. Uh, we designed that in two weeks. We built it in six and a half. The story didn't come until after. <laughs> um, um, and it all makes sense. And I, I saw that early on when I was painting, I would paint something and I wouldn't know what it was about. 
And then I would look at it and I'd be like, oh, that's what that's about. So some of that is like, it's going to sound like I'm the blind leading the blind, but it's true in a lot of ways. I, th I feel like there's somebody else, something else that is um, throwing things and it's really my job to pay attention. And then when it comes together, it comes together. So that's really for a type A personality who likes to have a lot of control and that being one of my favorite things about my job, it's really this kind of opposite that um, maybe I'm trying to get closer to. But I, I love that there's something at hand that knows where we're going. And um, I don't have to be responsible for every little bit. It makes sense. It's, it's like the act of letting go is, um, is what gets you there. And no matter how tight you try and hold it or how much you try and force the process, it's never going to happen. You just have to kind of let it go and it'll come to you. Like you said, it'd be in a conduit, right? Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, for sure. But it's still like weird to wrap your mind around, especially when it's, it's happened many, many, many times. And it's like every single process, we're doing something bigger or, or more new in some way. Um, and so my natural reaction is to try to hold on to yeah. it. But what really happens is I get completely overwhelmed and it comes together anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I don't know what that is, but I'm in love with it. And um, I love it. I love that. I can make wrong decisions for sure and, and have, and we've had to back out of things because they haven't come together. Um, but usually it makes room for something better to come in. And then the thing that we weren't able to accomplish shows up down the road better too. Mm. So um, I don't know. It's just, God, it's terrifying to go through every time. I don't know. And every, until you start to time. embrace it, it makes... It makes sense. So like in my, in my life, uh, my successes come because I figured out all the ways to do it wrong until it finally stops uh, doing it wrong just over and over. That's kind of how mm -hmm. I, I forge a path through life. So it's just, you know, you're just figuring out all the ways not to do it. And then eventually you start finding the ways that do work, right? <laughs> you just settle in yep. a pattern. You kind of move from there, but it sounds like you break the mold every time you do it, which is awesome. It's it's terrifying, and it's awesome. It sounds exciting it's, it's as hell. Both, it, it, it is, but when you're, like, holding, like, the responsibility of all of it, I mean, everybody, and, like, and I shouldn't put it that way because everybody is is responsible oh, for their I see. You defer in the blame. I get it. Um, I'm giving the credit where credit's due, and I, I tend to take on more responsibility than I actually need to. So this is part of me reframing uh, so that I'm it's healthier. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, we are always, I mean, we learn and we build on some of that, but part of what we're doing is these spectacular ideas that we're like, how do we do that? I mean, how, we don't know. You see something that inspires you, then you add like a whole bunch of other ideas on top of that. And you're like, how are we going to conquer that? And so um, 
I'll have an idea about how to do it, but I don't know how to do it. And then we figure it out. And it is terrifying because you make, I mean, we're building at a scale where we're, there's financial investment and there's people that we know that are supporting us. And so a lot of that is, you can't just be cavalier about it. Mm. So it can be really terrifying. And um, at the same time, super exhilarating when we're past the hurdle and um, we've accomplished it. It, it. And it could look totally different than we think. So that I'm not so worried about. I'm like, I'm just worried about jumping over the ravine, if you will. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, Jennifer, we are um, at the two hour mark. And I want to be extremely respectful of your time because I will literally just sit here and talk to you until you just, you know, pass out from not eating enough or whatever <laughs> it happens to be. Um, but we had a big meal at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just going to the food coma. Uh, I'll, I'll hit you with an EpiPen after everything here that you've eaten. Um, but I, I just wanted to tell you that sometimes it's so funny. This is apropos, but in this one, I did research on you and I have maybe four things written down on here. I didn't really have much to go on. And sometimes that is my most exciting because I don't know what's going to come out of it. But going into it, just from your emails, you had an energy that I knew this was going to be great and I was going to love this. And I enjoyed talking to you through this whole process. You are exciting to talk to. Like your energy is so infectious. It's like I'm trying to figure out how I can talk to you more. It's like I need some more of that energy in my life, regular injections. <laughs> Maybe you could just leave me daily affirmations that I can listen to first thing in the morning. Uh, but no, I just your spirit, your positivity, things you've gone through talking about how you learn all the ways to not be yourself until you figured out the right ways of being yourself. It sounds like so in alignment with the way you do your art now too. Um, that, you know, you just, you're figuring it out like everybody else. Um, but you're celebrating all the discoveries you've made and those discoveries don't come easy right? Those are hard earned lessons. And I, I love all the positivity you're putting out there and the energy and just the fact that you're putting so much of your heart and energy into affecting other people in positive ways. I, that's so inspiring to me. And I can't thank you enough for your time today. That was so awesome. Wow. That's really nice. <laughs> that's, that's really nice. Yeah. I don't really know how to respond. That's a little bit overwhelming and beautiful. And thank you. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the conversations today, Greg, and yeah. um, really hope that, uh, you know, you continue to do this work. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think it's super important and it uh, sounds like it's important to you. So Absolutely. Um, let us know if we can help you in any way. Well, I, I hope I've somehow, well, I know how, but I've been meeting a bunch of people in Denver. And so I would love to actually physically meet you people in real life one day that would be that's like um so i'm technically in sales now and colorado's in my region so uh, the next time i get over there i think i'm going to try and make a trip to denver because i definitely um want to meet you folks but until that time if you had people that were listening to this and you wanted them to interact with you in some way on the internet or you wanted to promote something what's your favorite way for people to find you and the things you do well, we are in the process of building a permanent facility. Well, we're on the very beginning part of the process of building a permanent facility right now. So 
if anybody is interested in following along, um, Instagram or Facebook, looking up Prismagic, P-R-I-S-M-A-J-I-C, um, that would be a great way to start interacting with us. Cheeky Dreams, um, our latest exhibition, is still running. So they'll be running at least through October. So um, if you go to our website, which is prismagic.com, you can look up tickets for that. We're open on the weekends currently. Um, and both my business partner and I are working the exhibit on the weekends. So we can directly interface. And uh, Greg, if you're ever through town, please let me know because I would love to give you a tour of Cheeky Dreams so you can kind of see what I've been talking Excellent. about. Excellent. So are you guys still uh, collecting funding for the new facility or I mean, how does like, if yeah. people want to like monetarily support you, is that something they can still do? Right the now we stuff? don't have like a Patreon or anything like that yet. Um, because we are with COVID and everything, our financing shifted with the loans that we had in place pre COVID are no longer available post COVID. So we're looking for more investors. We're looking to do a Kickstarter and things like that. But right now it's just, we just decided like a month and a half ago that we're going to pull the trigger on the large facility again. So the best way um, to interact and follow along is just to follow us on social media. And then we're hoping to have some of those things in place when we know set amounts of what we'll need and um, how we're going to use that money. I don't want to take anybody's money until I know how we're going to mm. use it and what, where we're going. So we want to be responsible with the support that we get. So, um, I think that's the safest way right now to uh, interact with us. You can email us through our website and um, you can look me up on Facebook. Right, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with your energy, with what you guys are doing, I want to support you however I can. And I'm sure people listening will too. So hopefully they'll do that. Once again, Jennifer, and I'm going to say it, Mosqueda. Mosqueda, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And, um, uh, all of you guys listening, reach out to her. Go see Prismagic, and we'll see you next time. Now I'm going to click Thanks. stop on all the things that are.